Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by The Memo, the weekly I Choose the Ladder newsletter that goes out every Monday to help you with your career development during the week. In the newsletter, I share articles that I found helpful as a Black woman navigating corporate America, career development resources, job opportunities, and upcoming I Choose the Ladder events. Everything we do is released to the subscribers of the newsletter first. If the memo sounds like something you'd like to receive, you can subscribe by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. In this episode, you meet Judith Harrison, a tireless advocate for the advancement of women and people of color, who is also one of the most influential and awarded executives in marketing communications. She's a visionary leader dedicated to changing the face of business through industry collaboration and inclusion-focused organizational transformation. Throughout her high-profile career in top marketing service agencies and organizations, Judith has activated industry diversity and inclusion efforts through creation of the Diversity, Distinction, and PR Awards, initiating a partnership with the United Negro College Fund, and bringing together multiple professional and trade organizations in an unprecedented joint effort to attract, retain, and develop diverse talent. As diversity and inclusion leader at Weber Shanwick, Judith drives programs designed to build a multicultural workforce that leverages diverse backgrounds and perspectives to create innovative solutions for clients and aspiring high-performance workplace. Since joining Weber Shanwick in 2006, Judith has guided the firm to recognition as a champion of diversity and inclusion with honors including the PR Week PR Council Diversity Distinction in PR Awards in 2012, 13, 15, and 16, and the 2016 PR Diversity Heroes Award as an organization of the year. She brought the United Negro College Fund together with the PR agency to form the PRIME Public Relations Entrepreneurship Mentoring and Education Program launched in 2015 with sponsorship from Fortune 500 companies, as well as leading PR agencies. Judith is former president of New York Women in Communications Foundation, former chair of the HR Roundtable of the PR Council, and a former member of the Clinton Global Initiative Disabilities Working Group. Judith is a boss, as you can tell from her um, introduction. Um, I learned so much from her um, during the course of our conversations. We talk about things like the skill sets required to be a great PR professional, going from working in PR to allowing her to sing at night to finding her purpose in the work, and the importance of having a senior management team that supports you in your strengths. So as usual, grab your favorite beverage, your at Choose the Ladder journal and pen, and let's get to work. So Judith, thank you so much for joining us. I know that I pretty much stalked you and was like, Judith, please, please, please be on this podcast because you're phenomenal and people need to know about you. So thank you so much for making the time. It is truly my pleasure. I heard such amazing things about you from Obella that I really couldn't wait to speak with you. So really, it is my pleasure to be here. Um, so first question is people typically, they'll see your title and they are automatically intimidated even though they have no understanding of what it is that you actually do for a living so if you'll uh-huh. if you'll um kind of like in the simplest term explain what it is that you do for a living that would be amazing sure uh what i do for a living is i create a diverse workforce and 
inclusive, equitable environment for Weber Shadwick, which is a global communications firm with offices in, I think, 81 cities around the world. Oh, my gosh. And so I guess looking back to the beginning of your career, like, is this something that you've been like strategically working towards? Or, like, how does someone end up having this be the the work that they get to do for a living? It took a very long time to figure out what I wanted to do. I was doing a lot of things that I enjoyed and was good at, but in terms of figuring out my purpose, that took some time. So, um, my path is not for everyone. But I will tell you, I actually started out as a singer. That was my plan. And I fell into public relations just as something to do to pay the rent as I went out and sang at night and recorded at night. So this is sort of an accidental career. And um, I kind of think of it as, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Slumdog Millionaire. It was an Oscar winner about 10 years or so. I am. Right? So there was this. Um, Indian guy who had gone through a series of truly horrific experiences in his life, but every single one of them led to a correct answer on India's version of who wants to be a millionaire. And so he wound up um, in bliss in so many ways. And so for me, thank God my life has not been quite that dramatic, but you know, a series of events and things I've seen kind of led me to the point where I felt that creating diversity and inclusion in PR and beyond and uh, advancing women and people of color was my purpose. Mm. So that's why I kind of fell into it. So a lot of times like we hear people who are creators by nature, like you are, um, kind of struggle with like how you marry that with working in corporate. So for you, like what was that adjustment going from, you know, fully and I mean you still saying if you on you need to google Judith because she is the real deal but how have you been able to marry your creative side and kind of the passion with the corporate work that you do actually it's not as difficult as you might think because I've, I've made it a point by and large to work in creative environments so mm. I've been in public relations I've done marketing communications on the client side for instance for CBS television so that was creative as you could get, um, promoting um, TV movies and series and all sorts of things. So I always kept my hand in on the creative side. And the one job I had in an environment that was incredibly not creative um, was the one where I had the most difficulty. So for me, having a combination of a creative environment and a senior management team that understands not only but the importance of what I want to do and gives me the freedom to do it, that has been critical. Mm-hmm. Which is not to say that there hasn't been an incredible amount of hard work along the way. It's not as though people just looked at me and said, okay, go do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had myself every step of the way. But it's all been completely worthwhile. Mm. And thinking back to that, like, first job where it wasn't, you know, one to pay the bills, but where you you start to think maybe about building a career, do you remember what that experience was like? I do very much. It is so strongly imprinted on my memory because at that point, I had thought that the music business was it for me, but I found that the music business itself was not so fabulous. Mm. And meanwhile, I found that I enjoyed the intellectual challenge of public relations. I enjoyed the creativity. I was on the creative team. And I was thinking, you know, I could do this for a living. This is good. So it wasn't a tough adjustment because I had already gotten used to the people and then 
and it was fairly simple to make that pivot to thinking of it as a career as opposed to sort of a sideline that I would do until my real career took off. Mm. And I was always learning. And to me, that was one of the most important things ever, um, to always have some sort of intellectual challenge and a creative challenge, the things that I have always thrived on, and I definitely had that there. Mm. And and making that pivot that you talked about, do you remember if you had any like mentors or um, people talk about sponsors along the way? And if you did, how did you get them? I think people, you know, the narrative is that you know that those people are important. But I think maybe if you're first generation or you're not someone who was groomed to work in the corporate environment, sometimes it's a bit challenging to figure out how to actually find and cultivate those relationships. So thinking back to, you know, mentorships then and maybe mentors have the role that they play in your life now would be amazing to hear about. Sure. I would say mentors and sponsors have always been really important to me. I... I think I've been lucky in that I haven't had to go out and specifically find them. They tended to find me. So I'll give you an example. I mentioned CBS as a place I worked, where it was incredibly creative and wonderful in some ways, but um, not so fabulous in that I was the only person of color in my department. And the job that I went in for, the job that I got, um, was one that was expected to go to an extremely popular white male. Mm. Um, and so there were, uh, I would say that there were knives out for me from the get-go. And there was um, a black woman in another department that worked with mine who noticed me and taught me really how to protect myself. She was my mentor in that sense. She could give me sort of um, the landscape that I couldn't see and taught me about how to cover myself in memos and so on so that the credibility that I didn't have simply because of the color of my skin and the fact that I was a woman, I kind of compensated for that by documenting everything. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, it was unfortunate that I had to do that for a while, but that was the way it was. And frankly, it was a good, it was a good lesson. And I had another mentor, really the most important one uh, in my life, and one who is so surprising when you think about it, one that I had when I was an executive recruiter. And this person was, her name was Shen Sam, and she was Elizabeth Taylor's publicist of all people. Oh, wow. Yes, she was awesome. She had a a small um, PR firm. And she came to my company because we specialized in PR searches. And my manager immediately handed her over to me because he was totally intimidated. So (laughs) I wound up having a great relationship with her. And she taught me about the value of embracing who I am. You know, I I touched a little bit on how um, it was challenging to be a woman and to be a woman of color and specifically a black woman in some environments. And Shen, although she was not black, she came from half Egyptian and half English. Brilliant, really interesting background. And so she started talking to me pretty early on about what it must be like for me or what was it like for me. She really wanted to hear as a black woman in this business, which is still to this day breathtaking and genius. So we had some really um, honest conversations, and she is the person who taught me above all others 
to embrace all of who I am. Mm. Not to try and not to try and hide or or sort of cover or fit in. Um, to just be me. And she saw a tremendous value in me. And so we became very close. So close that we used to watch the O.J. Simpson trial on TV together. I would oh. be in my house. <laughs> it was wild. I was in my house. She was in her house. We'd be on the phone for hours. Um, and the ironic thing is that we were on totally different sides, but not the sides you would expect. Mm. Um, and so we would never, ever know about people. Mm. But she... She taught me so much and was such a great influence. And I was actually going to work for her. She was going to start a licensing, a fragrance licensing company, because she knew everybody, not just Elizabeth, but she was on a first-name basis with every star you could think of. And at the time, um, fragrance licensing was becoming a big thing. So she was going to start that business, and she wanted me to work with her in it. And I thought, wow, this is perfect. And then she got sick and passed away. Oh, no. after we had this amazing, amazing meeting about it. So it was time to pivot after that. But mm-hmm. I, I will never forget her and will always be grateful to her for really seeing me for who I was and embracing that and teaching me to do it too. And so you say that like one of the biggest lessons that, you know, you learned from her is like the importance of like embracing who you are. So for you today, what does that look like? Like you are probably PR, as you mentioned, is still very, 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 very white. Um, And you are still, from my understanding, you are still a black woman. And so how do you, what is embracing yourself in a space, you know, that is changing, but maybe not as rapidly as we would all expect because it's creative. Like what does fully embracing yourself look like? For me, it looks like pushing this space to change as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. It looks like speaking truth to power. It's it's creating the job I have. You know, I've had I've been in this business for many years. I started out as a, a PR practitioner. I've done marketing, communications, recruiting, HR, um, and I created the role of diversity and inclusion executive because I was so. In- incredibly tired of hearing people in this industry talk about the need for diversity without actually doing anything about it. Mm. So talk about diversity of thought as though that covered everything. And in my mind, you know, if you have, let's say, a white male from California and a white male from New York, this does not constitute diversity of thought. So, and the way you get diversity of thought is diversity of people. Mm. So I'm put together a plan that did a lot of research and put together a plan for what I thought we should do and wrote endless emails about what I thought we should do <laughs> finally was invited to do it. Mm. And so um, I have been extremely honest, not only within this company, but outside the company as well. So, you know, it talked about purpose. All of this kind of came about when I figured out what my purpose was. Um, and I work not only here, but I do a lot of work on the outside for the same reason. So, for instance, I recently stepped down as president of the Public Relations Society of America Foundation, which is all about creating more diversity and inclusion in the public relations space. And um, as part of that role, I created a book 
with probably 45 um, senior people of color in public relations about what it's like to be a person of color in PR, to create a roadmap for young people who want to get into the business and to give ideas to organizations that want to create more inclusive environments. And I am also currently president of New York Women in Communications, which is all about advancing women. So um, we give scholarships and mentoring and internships and all sorts of things and help women at every stage of their career. So once I figured out that my purpose was advancing women and people of color, then opportunity just sort of sprang up everywhere I turned. And it was a wonderful thing, and it remains that way for me. What's the name of the book? The book is called Diverse Voices, Profiles, and Leadership. And I am so thrilled about it, I cannot begin to tell you. Um, it's, we have interviews with, not only me, of course I had to put myself in there, but we have <laughs> well, why not? I mean, it was my idea, so I thought I should be there. But we have the Chief Communications Officer of Johnson & Johnson, the Chief Communications Officer of Lenovo, of Dun & Bradstreet, of Univision, of a whole bunch of companies. People on the agency side, on the client side, leading um, academics of color in the PR space. And the through line is what we have all faced as people of color in this business. I wanted it to be really clear and authentic. And ironically, it started out, um, it came from a panel discussion that I put together for students from HBCUs at the PRSA conference um, in 2017. And that conference is a big deal. It's maybe 3,000, 4,000 people, some insane number like that. And so the PRSA Foundation um, gave scholarships or transportation scholarships to students from HBCUs. And I wanted them to have a really authentic experience as in there are things they can learn in school about PR. They can learn skills. They can learn the hard skills of what we do. They can kind of learn about what the agencies do and how it's different on the client side and what have you. But unless they have parents who are in the business, there is absolutely no way for them to know what the business itself is really like. So I wanted them to know what they were facing and that there were career paths and they should be optimistic but realistic at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I put together a panel of some of my favorite uh, PR people, uh, senior PR people of color, who talked with them for about, I think it was an uh, hour and a half or two hours, and it was shockingly emotional uh, because we were talking about things that we generally kept buried. Mm. And so the school loved it. And um, I thought, you know what? It would be great if we could find a way to blow this up. And so found a publisher uh, who was in the business, and we created a book. And we had the foreword, this is my favorite thing, the foreword was written by Harold Burson, who is one of the last remaining fathers of the PR business. He's 97. Oh, wow. 98. Yeah. And the first agency I worked for was Burson Marsteller. So I knew Harold from 110 years ago. <laughs> and he wrote the foreword to the book. Now, here's a guy from somewhere in Tennessee, Memphis, I think. So it was not exactly the vanguard of diversity and inclusion, you know, the way he was raised, but he is all over it now. So for him to have, for him to write the forward and to be part of all of our promotion for the book, you know, he was at our Twitter launch party, he was at all sorts of things, and continues to promote it. It is the most rewarding thing. But more than that is 
matches from the students that we actually put it together for. Mm. You know, for me, just creating that pathway for young people and seeing them light up when they see senior people of color that they didn't know existed, that's everything. Mm. Mm. I bet. Um, you talked about this briefly um earlier when you talked about the different kind of jobs that you've had along the way, how have you known when it's been time for you to move on from one job to the next? I think people get comfortable, right? You get to a place where you, you know, your job and you, you know, you can do it pretty much with your eyes closed and then you look up and it's been, you know, 10 years, 15 years. And you're like, how did I get here? And so for you, how do you know when it's time to move on to your next growth opportunity? For me, it's when I stop learning. That's, to me, that's major. Like, I always, always have to be learning something. If I am in a place where I feel stymied, like I want to do things and people are not allowing me to, mm-hmm. that's a problem. If I lose respect for my company's leadership and I just feel like either I know more than they do or I think that they're ethically challenged or there's something going on that's not working for me, um, that's a problem. And when I, I no longer get satisfaction from the work itself, I mean, I think I am incredibly fortunate, but also strategic, um, in, in having planned this particular role um, that gives me so much satisfaction. I, I can't imagine not being satisfied with having the kind of impact that I am able to have and to create a sort of global community around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like, to me, what could be better than that? Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. This is it. Um, and then you talked about your mentor who knew pretty much everyone, you know, on a first name basis in like the celebrity world and PR, right? A lot of it is networking. So how have you um, built your network and what things do you do to cultivate uh, having a robust and impactful network? So like not just, you know, a lot of people, but you actually have relationships with them that can help impact whether it's you or the people that you know in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. That is a great question, and I think I think it applies to everything, where every profession, not just PR, is every profession is relationship driven, no matter how big or small it is. There's skill set and relationships, and for me, part of it is being open. Um, meaning, I see I see some young black women coming into the workplace, and the, I, their idea is, well, I'm not here to make friends, so. You know, I don't really have to reveal anything of myself, but if you don't have a certain, if you don't give people a little insight into who you are, you're not going to form the relationships that you need. So for me, there's been that sense of openness um, to a certain extent. There has been really listening to people. I like people. I like engaging with people. I'm open to new relationships from just about everywhere. And I say this um, just to give you the most random example in the world. About 10 or 12 years ago, my husband and I were on vacation. We were in Budapest and Prague. And you know how sometimes you go on these vacations and you're on a tour where sometimes you're with people and then other times you're alone? Mm -hmm. So one morning we were at breakfast in Budapest and this woman from our tour came and asked if she could have breakfast with us. I said, sure. So we started talking about Mad Men, of all things, which was new at the time, and we both loved it. Turns out she was a television executive in New York that I went halfway around the world to meet. Turns out she had been on the board of New York Women in Communications. 
We got along incredibly well. She said, I have to get you on the board. She introduced me to the president when we got back to New York, and here I am years later going into my second term as president. Had I not been open to meeting this random stranger halfway around the world, my life would be incredibly different. Mm. So for me, it is building relationships wherever I go and really enjoying the process. It's not like a labor for me. It's something that... Um, is energizing. And I think that when people know that you're interested in them, they gravitate to you. And so you just make sure that you maintain those relationships that you have started. Mm, Got it. Um, Can you think of a time in your career where you maybe felt stuck? And what are some like tactical tactical things that you did to get unstuck, whether it's questions that you asked yourself or things that you put in motion to make sure you didn't remain in that space? Yeah, there have been a couple of times. I'd say the, the one of the most important times was actually after Shen died, mm. because I had my I thought I had my career planned out, and then I didn't all of a sudden. So I had to think about what else I might want to do. So I, the questions I asked myself were: What are the things that? What do I know? What am I really good at? How can I build on what I know to get to? Not just the next level, I wasn't thinking in terms of level, but thinking in terms of something that would be satisfying and, again, more intellectually engaging. And so at that point, I started doing, I did a tremendous amount of business reading and was reading that HR was becoming a much more strategic partner to the C-suite than it had ever been. So I thought, okay, here's a logical progression. I can go from being an executive recruiter in the PR and communication space into HR. And so networked and read and did all my research and then wound up doing exactly that. So that was a pivot. It was research and networking. Mm. And then another pivot. When I was in, I was at a company where I felt that the leadership was dysfunctional. And I had learned as much as I could there and it was time to make a move and I had no idea what I wanted to move to. And again, so what am I good at? What do I want to learn? And where can I learn it? So I already had built the skill set and um, wanted to see if I could take that then from a, a private company, which was a family-run company, which is where the dysfunction lay, um, to a publicly held company, which had very different ways of working. You could learn so much more, uh, different rules and regulations and things that could prepare you for the future. So decided to go to a publicly traded company and, again, through networking, wound up with an opportunity because while I was at that family-run business, I was also leading the HR roundtable of the PR Council, which is our business trade group. So I was in front of all of my peers at every agency in the country. So when it was time for me to make that move, I just called my friends and said, it's time for me to move. Mm. And so a job created for me. But that was because I did the research, I knew where I wanted to go, and um, had created the relationship that would enable me to do it. Mm. Um, I think that people, and I might be people, have a very like romanticized idea of like what a publicist does, right? The publicist, in my opinion, is the one who's like, they hang out, and they, you know, they're always in black behind the scenes on their phone, um, and then they travel, and they tell you, no, you can't talk to their clients, and they got an attitude. Um, but what do you think would surprise people the most around the skill sets 
that you actually have to have to be a good publicist because we know like not all publicists are created equal. God knows. Um, and what I will do is actually make that question even bigger because publicity is just a small part of public relations. It is the foundation. It was what we started with, but it is much bigger than that. Mm. It is a lot of two-way engagement with the public. So, for instance, um, there's social media. Every company has not only a website, but they're on social channels. Who runs the social channels? We do. Who talks with them about what they want to say, what their brand means, how it should be communicated? We do. And then we communicate that with the public back and forth. Um, there's a lot of work in digital. Uh, right now, everything we do has a digital uh, orientation. We, there's a technological focus to what we do as well. So we are using artificial intelligence. We're using virtual reality. Um, it is. It has changed. The business has changed tremendously over the years. So um, people would be surprised to, to see the breadth and depth of what we do in this business that is still called public relations, but has a much, much wider scope. Mm. Um, although there are still organizations of small agencies that do that sort of um, celebrity publicity. And that, trust me, is not glamorous. I'll go back to Shen. When Elizabeth Taylor would come to her office, she always had her dogs with her. I would tell the people that I was hiring for Shen that one of their jobs was to walk Elizabeth's dog when she's in the office because that was what was expected. Mm. I can tell that nothing has changed <laughs> in that regard. Those who are at that very, very high level can still be very diva-esque. So um, it's not quite as glamorous as people might think. Mm. Um, and then as a communication expert, right, you've been, you've, you've been doing this work for a while, but as also yeah. someone who, in my opinion, is very direct in your communication, do you worry about um, the stereotypes that come with that, right? Like you are someone who knows what you want, you're strategic about it, and you go after it. So do you try to avoid like being labeled as the angry black woman or are you extremely um, uh, in tuned to your communication styles to make sure that you don't get the labels that tend to follow women who are pretty, um, pretty sure in themselves and what it is that they want? That is such a great question. And uh, I love it because I hear it all the time. And uh, it bothers me to no end that black women are put in this position, or at least feel that they're in this position, that they have to watch every word they say in order to make sure that it's taken the right way. I don't. I never have. Um, I've, I've always been polite, but I've always been me. So I don't, I never think, if I'm upset about something, I never think, oh, I better watch how I say this because people are going to think I'm an angry black woman. I mean, I express myself in the way that is appropriate for me and for my personality, but I never, ever stop to think about whether people will accept what I have to say um, or not because I am an angry black woman. Mm. If I'm angry, I have to be angry. You know, so it's not this sort of all-encompassing thing. It's that I'm I'm upset at the moment, and I express it in ways that are appropriate. Hmm. Um, and then thinking about that, so you've had the opportunity to mentor a lot of people, manage a lot of people, um, and looking at maybe like the young black women that you see within corporate, are there decisions or mis not necessarily mistakes, but are there choices that they're making 
that their non-Black counterparts are not making that could be holding them back that they're not aware of? That's a great question. And that goes to something I touched on a little bit earlier, and that is the idea that they've gone to school, they've got an education, they're really smart, they know what they're doing, therefore they don't have to pay so much attention to the sort of emotional, collaborative side of business. Mm. And that's not true. You can be a genius, uh, but if you don't have the emotional intelligence that you need to manage the relationships around you, you're not going to get anywhere. And I I completely get that sometimes people feel they don't want to show who they are because they feel vulnerable. If they're the only one or one of the very few um, in their work environment, they don't feel trusting enough to share who they are and be vulnerable and feel that um, whatever they say might not be taken in the right way or their vulnerability will be taken advantage of. But this goes to what I was saying about getting to know people and letting them know you. They don't have to know everything, but they have to know enough to feel comfortable with you. So to me, that is one thing I've seen that I strongly counsel against. Mm. People need to really understand to some extent who you are and what makes you tick. Because people then will be more inclusive and they tend to advocate for you if they know you and like you. Mm. Um, and then thinking one step before, um, you know, the young black woman is in corporate, knowing what you know now about like the real deal on what it takes to be successful in corporate, are there things that you think young black women on college campuses need to be preparing for or training themselves to be able to do so that that transition from, you know, undergrad, if you, you know, if you went to an HBCU where you weren't allowed around a lot of like white people all the time, or if you were, you know, in a small school where, you know, you don't have maybe the same access that will help make that transition from being a student to being a professional and expectations that come with that a little bit easier. I think if there are any um, internships that they can get, that that would be helpful. I, I think I would strongly recommend leadership development and fellowship programs that are specifically targeted to people of color because if they give you a network of people that you will work with not only during that time that you're in the fellowship, but sometimes for a long time thereafter, there's a cohort that you can rely on. And it puts you in front of people who can see what you can do and are in my business anyway, as we dying to hire you. So I look at programs like the 4A, which is the Advertising Association. They have the Multicultural Advertising Internship Program, which is phenomenal. It's been around for about 40-some years, and it has an incredibly strong alumni association. Mm. Um, So programs like that, where you get to do internships and meet with really powerful people in the business and have them work to advance you while you are connecting with your peers, um, and staying in touch with them over the course of years, I think that those programs are extremely important. So for any business that you're in, hopefully there is something like that that you can consider. And internships, I think, are critical for everybody, everywhere. Mm. Um, and you touched on this a little bit earlier when you talked about going on vacation with your husband. Um, but as someone who is an ambitious woman, 
right? How do you manage keeping that ball in the air at a level that you're comfortable with while keeping your personal interests at a level that you're comfortable with while keeping your life, you know, being a wife and all of those things? Like, how do you, and I don't want to say work-life balance because that phrase stresses me out because <laughs> um, I just don't know. I'm like, am I doing it right? How am I about? Like, it's just too much. But like, how do you manage being ambitious, having your own, um, your own interests outside of your, your corporate life and then also having a family life that help you feel whole? That, that's a great question. I love the idea of work-life balance. The phrase itself stresses you out. It's stressful. And I'm like, should I be, what, what should I be doing? <laughs> well, I will tell you, I, I don't believe that there's any such thing as balance. I think that, you know, at certain times in your life, you're giving 110% to your job and your family suffers. And then there are times that you're giving much more to your family and not as much to your job and your job may suffer. And you have to get comfortable with this sort of feeling of discomfort. I think that choosing the right partner is critical mm. in terms of having someone who understands you and supports your ambition. If the person you're with doesn't support your ambition, you're better off being alone. Hmm. So my husband often jokes with people that he needs an appointment to see me. Um, and it's like, ah, not so much. But you know what? <laughs> with, with the nonprofits I run, and I only mentioned two, but I've got a ton of others going on, uh, it's sometimes... Sometimes I really have to work to make time for family. But his take on it is that what I'm doing impacts the world. And so that is a lovely take to have. And um, he kind of gets how important it is to me. Mm. And he understands that he's important and that I do the best I can mm. to, to balance things out. But I don't have this list of shoulds. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. You know, I should be doing what I need to do, and um, I take care of the people I love as well as I can, and I'm always there when I'm truly needed. Hmm. Got it. Yeah, because everybody's like, you should get a massage. I'm like, listen, people, I'm not getting a massage. Like, leave me alone with all this stuff, and you should be getting your nails done at this time, and you should be lighting candles, and I don't even like candles, like, at all. So, no, I'm not lighting any candles. Um if that's something that's satisfying to people, then they should do it. So, for instance, for me, I do love massages, and I don't think you should get one, but for me, I find it relaxing. I get my lashes done every few weeks. It's my hour of zen where I can't even look at my phone because somebody's working on my lashes. So mm. I'm lying back, I'm listening to music, I'm having a great time. So take care of yourself in whatever way really makes you comfortable, but not in the way that people prescribe for you to do it. Mm. Um, and then the last question before our lightning round. So you started out as a creative, um, and I, I would still you, you say you still are a creative, but the question is with like with everything that's been paid to, the attention that's being paid to entrepreneurship and going out and doing your own thing, like what has kept you in corporate America? The fact that I get to do what I want on the scale that I can do it. So with the name Weber's behind me, I get asked to speak at major conferences. I have influence within this industry that is far beyond what I would have had had I gone out on my own years ago. Mm -hmm. I will still have it, you know, when I leave eventually, but what's kept me here is that it has given me tremendous 
influence and impact and the satisfaction of seeing the impact I have on the people who work here and the people um, that I meet uh, in various places in this business. There's, to me, that is the best thing in the world, and it shows that I'm on the right path mm. for me. Um, and I lied, I have one more question, actually. So thinking about your work that you've done, what is the thing that brings you the most joy or makes you feel the proudest that you've accomplished over the course of, you know, a, a really long and impressive career? Thank you. I think, you know, what gives me incredible joy is helping young people. It sounds so cliche, but it is one of the best things I do. So, for instance, every year, I mentioned New York Women in Communications get scholarships um, to young women who study communications. Every year we get, I don't know, maybe 300 or so applications. And they go through a bunch of rounds of phone interviews and they get down to the final 30 or so. I spend three full days every year interviewing our scholarship winners. Mm. Um, I mentor a lot of them. I am so thrilled when I see them progressing and blossoming in the business, there's nothing like it. And there are other organizations for which I do do similar services. And when I see people who um, started out as students and shy and unsure and have really grown, it's wonderful. We had an example here yesterday. We uh, had a meet the media session for our media relations team. And the reporter who came in to speak was a New York Women in Communication scholarship winner from about 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, my gosh. It was so incredibly awesome. So now she's a big deal on local TV. And um, I just thought, I'm so proud of her. It was beautiful. Hmm. Oh, man. Okay, so now we're going to go to the lightning round. Don't overthink these questions. It's literally the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, so, first question, what's one piece of career advice you wish you'd gotten earlier in your career? Um, I would say to not be afraid to speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid of tough conversations. You know, you need to teach people how to treat you. And I don't think I knew that going in. So, yeah, I wish I'd, I'd had that. Um, what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the biggest impact on your trajectory? I don't know if I'd call it a lesson, but I would say figuring out what my purpose in life was, you know, which turned out to be about my career. But that was, um, that took the longest time. And it's not that I regret anything that happened along the way, but I think that it took years for that to happen. And I always tell people that they shouldn't be surprised when that's the case, because you can't know everything at once. Um, But for me, it's, it had the greatest impact imaginable, mm. just figuring out what my purpose was and going with it. What's one book that you could read over and over again? Becoming by Michelle Obama. I love that book. It's really good. Absolutely love it. Um, and then the last question is, we all know that decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? I'm actually prepared for this something fabulous happened a couple of weeks ago, and so here it is. What I hope people say is what Representative President Gail Hyman wrote about me to our worldwide staff a couple of weeks ago. Um, She wrote, Judith is a champion inside our organization and out for the vitality of inclusivity in voices, teams, and organizations. 
those who know, work with, or have heard Judith speak know that we are a stronger company because of her contributions, expertise, and perspective. That's what I hope people say. That is such a great compliment. That I was in tears when I read that. Oh, that, and to know that your senior leadership view you in that way means that you're doing it right. It means you're doing it right. I guess so. It was beautiful. Perfect. So, Judith, thank you for your time. Um, this I took notes. I don't know why I take notes because I'm recording the podcast. So I could just listen to it again. <laughs> However, yes. I still took notes. Um, you were just as, as amazing as I thought you would be. So thank you for your time. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. This has been such a treat for me. You have no idea. I told you all Judith was amazing. I literally stopped this woman for weeks and weeks and weeks because her schedule was so busy to get her to be on the podcast and definitely, definitely was worth the time. As you all know, I like to finish each episode with my top three. So here are the top three things that I'm taking away from the conversation with Judith. First, creating a role that you want in your organization is a possibility as long as you do the work and you know how to advocate for yourself. Next, it's easier to work for a corporation if you have respect for the people running it. And lastly, people speaking your names in rooms where you are not present only happens if they know you and what you're capable of bringing to the table. So let people get to know you. Um, as always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us through our newsletter, The Memo, by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. You can also follow us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder or on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder Podcast. And until next time, thank you for listening.